You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life. Excited to be with you here uh, this morning. Thank you for everyone joining us online uh, for this message. Uh, We had a little hiccup earlier this morning where uh, as we were checking on our furnaces with a gas outage that had happened in our area, um, and uh, they were trying to reignite some furnaces, and we got a little gas smell in our sanctuary this morning during our first service, and so um, we uh, thought it'd be wise to uh, keep people on fire for Jesus, but not on fire like that. And so um, we wanted the people to exit, and so they exited. And so we're doing a, uh, um, a retaped uh, just of the message here, so you guys can have that for our groups this week, and so we can hear a complete message. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, from uh, your, the comfort of your own home, if you just want to join and, and pray uh, over this time with me, uh, Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for technology. I thank you for the ability for us to be able to continue to share your word and overcome challenges here, Lord. Uh, we just ask for your hand upon uh, this message and the service in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so uh, we're continuing on in our King Me series. Last week, Adam uh, put us in a great spot as he uh, shared with us this journey that Israel was having uh, of, of looking of, of, for leadership. And the leadership void happened um, after Joshua and after Joshua's elders. Um, and, and this is after, obviously, the Exodus. And Moses led him, led him through that. And, and then we have this period of time uh, where they're looking for a leader. And God is their leader, but they don't want to recognize it. And so they start to seek and look for a king. And we, he walked us through Judges. If we take a look at the uh, graphic here today, uh, he walked us through uh, Judges, that quick two to 400-year period. So we're at the very tail end of that. And all of our time today is going to be spent in First Samuel. So if you're sitting at home and you have your Bible with you, you could open up First Samuel. And we're going to be primarily uh, through different pieces of text from First Samuel chapter 8 through uh, 17. And if you guys are looking for reading to do this week, I would love it if you would just have uh, joined me like I did last week and go through the story. It's an exciting story as you see this birth of the first king that uh, the Israelites wanted and they're asking for and kind of the process of how that happened. So so we're uh, going to talk about King Saul today. His reign was uh, 1030 uh, to 1010 BC. Now, um, if, join me in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And here's what it says. They're, they're this, this is the Israelites asking for a king. Now, Samuel is a prophet. And Samuel's sons, they were, uh, they were kind of in line to help lead Israel, and they were not very good. The people of Israel did not want to follow them uh, as a prophet or a judge or a king or any of that. And that was frustrating for Samuel because obviously he wanted his sons to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and so here's where we are uh, joining the story, uh, story in 1 Samuel where they said, hey, give us a king. And so let's take a look at this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, they being the Israelites, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying uh, to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. God is telling Samuel, hey, it's not about you. They're rejecting me, the king, the, the, the God of creation, the one who led them out of Egypt, and they don't want him anymore, or at least that's what, how God's taken it in this. 
Uh, he said, uh, and then go to verse 11, he, he said, this is what uh, the king who will reign over you will claim as his right. So he's going to tell you, oh, you want a king? You really want a king? God's like, yep, tell them that they will have a king, and this is what it's going to look like to sit under this new king. And let's see if they really want it. Uh, he will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Do you think it's a good idea uh, if you're serving in the military to be running in front of the chariots? That sounds like a good place to die. And so he's saying, you know, hey, your sons and your sons are going to be serving this king, and they could die. Some will be assigned to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others will plow his ground and reap his harvest. And still others will make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage to give to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkey he will take for his own use. Do you see the repetition of the word he will take? You want an earthly king, this earthly king will take. And it's not going to be about asking you, do you, hey, would you, would you give a tenth? He's going to take a tenth. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and a tenth of, of your, your crops and your best cow. He's going to take from you. They're putting in a God who is going to be a, a, a little God, a king that they think that they need, who is going to be a taker from them. That's going to withdraw from their lives. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you, and you yourselves will be his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from your king that you have chosen, but the Lord uh, will not answer you in that day. But the people refuse to listen to Samuel, this prophet. We want a king over us. Oh, but did I just tell you what that king will do? Yeah, that's what we want is a king over us. That kind of a king? Yes, you got it. Then we will be like all the other nations that will, with a king that will lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. We want somebody else to fight our battles. Did you just hear what he just said? Who is going to be fighting the battles? Your sons and daughters are going to be fighting the battles. Your resources are going to be fighting the battles, not the Lord's. And so you're going to have that in front of you. But do you still want a king? Yes, we want a king. Give us a king who will fight for us. We want to be like everyone else. This morning as we were singing our worship songs earlier, we were singing uh, all of our songs had like, holy is it, holy, 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 holy. You know, holy is the Lord. Set apart. That his people are set apart. He is set apart. It is sacred. It is holy. No, we don't want what is sacred and holy. We want what everybody else has. And he's like, you got it. You want what everybody else has? You got us. Give us a king who will go and fight for us. And let's see how this king does. As I was thinking more about it this week, it's easy to sit here and throw rocks at Saul. It's easy to to look at his life and we can point and we can armchair quarterback all the things that he did wrong because it's all written in history and we get to see a lot of mostly of the wrong things that he did. But as I was armchair quarterbacking that this week and thinking about it, I looked and I was like, I wonder where in my own life, where am I choosing an earthly king over our heavenly king? Where have I put the things of this world in place of the things of the kingdom of God? I don't think I'm that much different than Saul much of the time. So let's talk about this Saul. We're going to meet this Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 9. 
And we're going to go ahead and go and, and be introduced to Saul. So Kish had a son named Saul, a handsome as a young man could be found in anywhere of Israel. Good. We want our kings to look the part. We want him to be handsome. Oh, by the way, he was a head taller than anyone else, too. He was handsome and tall, very kingly, very stately. Now, uh, the donkeys uh, that were belonging to Saul's father, uh, Kish, were lost. So we're introduced to this king who God says that Saul is going to be this first king. And what is this guy looking for? He's looking for his lost donkeys. Um, And so, and Kish said to his uh, son Saul, take one of your servants with you and go and look for this donkey, these donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shehalish, but did not find them. He went on to the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. And then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but he did not find them. When they had reached the district of uh, Zuhul, Saul said to his servants uh, who was with him, come, let's go back to my father. Uh, He he will stop thinking about the donkeys and he'll start worrying about us because we kind of failed our mission. We didn't find the donkeys. But the servant replied, look, in this town is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what, uh, what way to take. And so this is when we're introduced to Saul is he's looking for the donkeys. God reveals to Samuel that Saul will be this king, uh, will, will be the king. And so he has this great uh, interaction with Samuel. And Samuel, being a prophet, he tells him all these things that are going to happen to him on his journey back. And these amazing things happen. And people start questioning and wondering if uh, uh, Saul's a prophet. And they're like, wow, Saul's a prophet. He's pretty, is this, this Saul guy, is, is what happened to him? And something happened with Saul's heart. And his heart was changed. And then we catch up to him and we see uh, that they're getting ready to anoint Saul to be king over all of Israel. And so let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, verse 21 to 22. It kind of has to go through this process of like, let's get all the tribes together, these 12 tribes together. And then we're going to find the right tribe, which he already knew. And then we're going to find the right clan in that tribe, which he already knew. And then we're going to find the right person in that tribe, and he already knew. And so this is the, the, the telling of this. So then uh, he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, Samuel did. And clan by clan, and uh, Matri's clan was taken. So the tribe of Benjamin is the least of all of these tribes. And this clan is not very highly thought of even in this tribe. And this is where they're going to find the king. But when they looked for him, he was nowhere to be found. Remember, Saul just had this experience where he was uh, coming back and he was, all these things were happening and he was prophesying over some things and they were like, Saul's, this guy's the real deal. And where is Saul? Well, he's nowhere to be found to be anointed king. And so they inquired uh, further to the Lord, which is a good place to start, and uh, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Here is your king, the king that's going to go out and fight your battles for you. He's hiding over here in the supplies. And so I started thinking about my life. You know, where have I been hiding? Hiding from God's purpose and hiding from God's plan. Being distracted with all these other things. And let me ask you this question. Where does trusting God bring out fear in you because it appears to me that Saul here was scared of this opportunity 
And for me, I know when I start to be afraid to trust God, it's usually about me and not about God. How will I look if this doesn't go as planned? What will happen to me if this X doesn't work? What if I'm just mishearing God? Maybe God, maybe he's going through this moment where it's like, well, maybe I just, I'm not sure if I'm the right guy. And so Saul was scared. Leadership is scary. Earthly leadership is scary, which is why you need a godly counselor, which is why you need the Holy Spirit, which is why you need discernment, which is why you need wise people around you so you don't become wise in your own eyes. But Saul was scared, and he starts off being scared. And then he goes on, and he starts to do well. And in chapter 11, is about how he rescued the city of Jabesh, uh, because he followed what God had asked him to do. And, he, and he, uh, God was like, man, this, okay, things are going the right way. Things are working great. In verse, uh, ch- chapter 11, verse 6, it says, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him. Saul could do all kinds of amazing things when the Spirit of God is upon him, just as so could you. When you have the Spirit of God upon you, you are, you are unstoppable. And when you lose the Spirit of God, you're a lot like Saul. Turns into being. So something, Saul was rocking and things were going well and then something starts to change. And we see this as we move into chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 5 through 12. We see a, a change that's happening and where Saul moves in to take control. And I want you to think about after we look at this, what are areas are you taking control of in your life that you're taking away from God? You're, you're taking it into your hands and you're going to take care of it instead of having him take care of it. And so let's take a look at this real quick. So the Philistines become a, quite a problem in Saul's, uh, Saul's side for a while. And these folks are coming after. There's this, just this warring that happens often. So the Philistines assemble to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sands on the seashore. Sounds like a lot. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Bet-Avon. And when the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and the pits and the cistern. They were scared. Some of the Hebrews even crossed the Jordan uh, the, to the land of Gad and Gilhad. Saul remained in Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. They were getting ready to get their rears kicked, it appeared, based on what they could see. The odds were against them. There was as many soldiers as they could think of sand on the seashore, which is a lot. And so they're scared, and they're quaking with fear. And so he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. His army starts to to flee and run away. Retreat, retreat, retreat. And so Saul takes things into his own hands. And so he said, bring me a burnt offering and and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up a burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. So he's not supposed to make this offering. He's supposed to wait on the Lord The Lord is going to get the credit. The Lord is going to take care of these things. He's supposed to wait on the Lord. And Samuel notices what's happening. And he's like, what have you done? Asked Samuel. 
And Saul replied, hey, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, remember when beginning, when we're looking at Samuel and he's like, he, he's asking the Lord, he's asking the Lord, we're asking the Lord, we're asking the Lord. But now, Paul, now Saul is like, well, I thought. Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering or the burnt offering. I took it in my own hands. Why is he taking it into his own hands? And Samuel gets after him. Samuel says, you have done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. You're taking control of this. You're putting it in your power and your control. If you had done that, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. This is a harsh rebuke. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man out after his own heart, hint, hint, future sermon, and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So this week as I was going through this, I thought, man, Why didn't he just listen to God? What happened to this anointing? What happened to this changed heart? What happened? How did he lose that? Why was he taking things into his own hands? And then I had to ask myself the same question. Josh, where in your life are you taking control instead of trusting God? And maybe you asked that of the Lord this week. Lord, where have I taken control? Where have I put my hands on the reins of something that your hands need to be? So, so Saul goes out again against the Lord's uh, orders uh, and he kind of obeys him, but not all the way. And so we're seeing this pattern with Saul. This pattern, and when the Lord's anointing leaves Saul, when he when he figures out that he's lost it, the rest of his life is spent looking over his shoulder. The rest of his life is spent chasing David, chasing all these things, and he's a mess. And he's a mess of a king uh, for quite some time, and he just keeps messing up and messing up and messing up because now it's he's lost it. Now join me in First Samuel chapter fifteen. Another conversation. I bet you every time he had a conversation with Samuel, he was like, oh boy, this is tough. And Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, didn't you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you to be king over Israel, and he set, sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why do you pounce on plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? So let's time out. So this is, we're fast forwarding to another battle. And these Amalekites, they have a bad, uh, a bad history. The Amalekites were the ones that were the bottom feeders. And when uh, Moses was leading uh, the people uh, out of uh, Egypt, they were at the back and they were picking off the weak, the orphans, the aliens, and the widows. That's the group that was doing that. And the Lord has no patience 
for these Amalekite people. And he asks a pretty strict and definite orders to Saul to wipe them off the face of the earth, every single piece of them, even their animals. So, so Samuel's calling him out. Why aren't you listening to God again? And what does Saul do? He gives an excuse. He says, but I did obey the Lord. Saul said, I went on the mission uh, the Lord had assigned me, and I completely destroyed, destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agai, their king. You completely destroyed him, but you brought back their king. And the soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, and the best of all was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But that's not what God had told him to do. He said to completely destroy them and all of these animals completely, but he kind of obeyed, but not really. And so Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. See, partial obedience is still disobedience. But as my life, like I, I'm really good at justifying things. I kind of, I kind of obeyed. I kind of did what you told me to do. I partially did what you told me to do. Yeah, but there's partial obedience is still disobedience. I only went halfway across the street, Dad. You told me not to go all the way across the street. I just went halfway. So another question came up in my week. This week was, hey, where, where, where in my life am I kind of obeying God? What does it kind of look like to obey God? And maybe you ask that question in your prayer time. Where am I kind of obeying God? And let's kind of wrap up part of the story here with Samuel or with, with Saul uh, in chapter 17. And many of you are familiar with the story of uh, David and Goliath. And I just want to read this, read this front part of it, which will tie us back out into the very beginning of why Israel wanted a king. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. Uh, his height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet, and on his head he wore a coat of scale armor and bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves, and a, a bronze javelin was, javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like that of a weaver's rod, and the iron point weighed 600 shekels, and uh, his shield bearer went a- ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why do you, come out, why do you uh, come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, I will be, uh, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Why did Israel want a king? Give us a king who will fight for us. Give us a king who will fight for us. And what is this king not doing? He's not fighting for him. 
He's done a foolish thing. And I think the heart here in this is, it could have been him. It could have been you. Saul, your kingdom over Israel could have been established for all, all time. Instead, God removed it from Saul and sought after a man after his own heart. It didn't have to end this way. See, Samuel had God's favor. There were things that were upon him, but he strayed away. And I wonder if any of us are in that spot where we've had God's favor upon us, but we've strayed away. See, God believed in Saul. He wanted to shape his, the character of Saul. He promised to be like Saul in his walk if Saul wanted to be with him. Promised to walk with him. All he asked Saul was for was obedience. But Saul, like many of us, maybe have made choices that have led us to a broken relationship with God. He did right in his own eyes. And back to what Adam had said last week, you see the story repeating itself, this redemption cycle of people doing right in their own eyes and then they have to go through all the pain and suffering and God redeems them and then they do it again and then they do it again and this is happening over and over. It happened for two to 400 years with the uh, period of the judges. It's happening now with these kings. So I was trying to think of my story, like what does it look like to be scared? What does it look like to ask for God's help and his anointing and trying to stay in that and how hard is it to stay in God's anointing for me um, the story that came to mind was the story of becoming the lead servant here at Real Life on the Palouse it was February of 2019 I was under the understanding that Aaron our founding pastor was going to be exiting and serving at a church in Colorado and I was second in command, and so obviously I was either going to be part of a search process and help the elders find who the next pastor would be of this church. And I prayed about it and prayed about it, and God was like, you know what, you should, you should offer up your services to help this church transition. And I never really thought about being uh, uh, the lead pastor of this church in particular. I never really thought about being in ministry for that point of... And so as, as I prayed about it and I was like okay you know what I'm going to throw my name in the hat but I was just like Saul you know I'm unqualified I'm from the smallest tribe I don't have this I could tell you all the things that I don't have and why I couldn't and shouldn't and I'm the third third pick or all these things but God I still wanted to be obedient to what God said and he says throw your name in the hat the night I was supposed to interview in April we had a massive flood in our, our town and we had two inches of water in our basement of our house I had friends over and we got all of our stuff up there and we were some we had pumps and we were towels and we were just getting all this water and finally shut everything down and got all the water soaked up and it was about two thirty or three o'clock and my interview was at six o'clock the next morning. I went upstairs exhausted, put on took a shower, put on my interview clothes and came to the church uh, and got here probably about four o'clock. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed before the elders ever entered the room for the interview. And I was like, God, if this is what you want, I'm willing, but I need your help. I cannot do this. I am not like this person, and I'm not like this person, and I'm not like all the... I was explaining to God all the things that I was not. But like Saul, I was nervous and scared. 
all of the founding pastors of our church had exited or were exiting. Michael had exited to go up to Coeur d'Alene to serve up there. Charlie was going to go serve back with his uh, daughter and son in uh, Kalispell. Uh, Aaron and Kelly uh, were going to Colorado. She was also our worship pastor. Like, this was a scary situation. Our church was in shock a little bit. But I said I was willing, but I'm scared. And so as I see myself in this Saul story of being willing but scared, the, the scariest thing that I read about in, in, in the story of Saul was God's anointing leaving him. And I'm wondering, like, when do you figure out that God's anointing has left you? What does that look like in your life? And maybe it looks like a bunch of these questions that we've already asked. Maybe it looks like when you start taking control, when you have partial obedience instead of full obedience, when you start you know, operating in a fear-based mentality and, and out of a, not out of a faith-based mentality. So I connected with Saul's shortcomings about hiding sometimes. I connected with Saul, Saul's shortcomings about not feeling good enough. I connected with Saul's shortcomings about the fear that I would have of losing God's anointing. But at the end of the day, you take your swing. Become available. I guess I would just ask you, are you taking the swing that God has for you? Are you willing to take that leadership or is it always pointing to somebody else? Because God has you leading men and women as in your own families. God has you leading at where you work. No earthly king will step in and do what your heavenly father can do. And so how are you finding yourself submitting to your heavenly father and not getting trapped in the things that we could see that Saul's getting trapped in? We're not supposed to have a human king. God was good enough He was more than enough for the Israelites. And he served and loved and cared for them and and made a way for them. But what God did, after they got to go through all of these kings, some of them we'll talk about, after they were in this terrible period of where it felt like it was silent and there was nothing there, he provided a king for them. And so as we come to communion today, How do you view the king? Who has got kingship in your life? Are you looking for another king? Are you looking for something else? Are you looking to the one true king? I invite you to wrestle with those questions as we come to communion. Where are you at with the king? Father, we enter this time And ask, Lord, that you would reveal the things to us in our lives of where we're putting other kings in place. That there is no need to seek the next king. That no matter what happens, Lord, you have us taken care of. That you are the power, Father. That you are the king that we should be submitting to and seeking, not all of these earthly kings. This story has come and gone before over and over this redemption cycle and we need to be redeemed and you provided us an eternal redeemer. 
And so, Father, we come to the eternal Redeemer at this time of communion. Thank you for providing us the one and only King we will ever, ever, ever need. So, Lord Jesus, on that night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Lord, we proclaim your kingship over all of our lives. Father God, I just uh, ask for your hand and your anointing over all of the people who are seeing this online. You would move mightily in their lives, Lord. As we have little bumps in the road this week where we happen to live, gas outages and all these things, Lord, you have been so, so, so good to us. Your people do not go without, without the things that they need. And so, Father God, I ask that you would just be with everyone as they soak in your word. Show us in our hearts the places where we have some soul that we need to, to move out because, Father, you are what we've asked for. Be with your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.